Let's get ready to rumble! <laughs> and that was Tim's failed introduction to the Two Guys, One Plant podcast. Uh, we are a weekly podcast that uh, dives into the history, nutrition, medicinal, uh, storing, growing, and eating of different plants, vegetables, fruits, nuts, herbs, whatever it is. If it's in the plant kingdom, we cover it. Uh, my name is Simon Hall. And I'm Tim Aikman. And Tim, what are we doing today? Uh, we are going to do the orange, not the color, the fruit. Uh, that's really interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, so we will get to that shortly. I'm assuming it's already in your notes. Yeah, yeah okay, I'm cool. guessing it's in yours as well. <laughs> uh, well, no, but I saw it. But I okay. thought you were definitely going to cover it off. And before we start talking too much code about what we're actually talking about right now, uh, Tim, have you had a good week? I have, mate. It's uh, It's been a good week. I'm going back to work next week, so that's exciting, you know, with all the corona stuff that's happening. Yeah. Mm, I know. And this is, uh, I mean, we're back doing this podcast from, on a Skype uh, this week, but yeah. uh, it was good to catch up with you to cover snow peas last week. That was uh, a good episode. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a dark horse that one, wasn't it? <laughs> mm, it certainly was. Yeah. Um, and even now, uh, and I was, I was a bit negative in it, like at the very beginning. Just a little like, bit. <laughs> I feel like I portrayed that, uh, which is not a good thing for the podcast. <laughs> Let's I, be honest. But. I know before we recorded, you were like, mm, not really excited about this one. And I'm going, just wait, mate. Just wait. Just wait and listen. <laughs> well, you actually blew my mind uh, uh, with nutrition. So uh, I was um, really pleasantly surprised as soon as we got into that, which was really cool. Um, I Actually, I had some feedback and you had some feedback from my wife, Jamie, who listened to our uh, plum podcast and was blown away by the plums uh, dried prunes, which is yeah. uh, which is a massive thing. Uh, I had a conversation with my mother and she said, "How did you not know that prunes were not dried plums? Like, how did we raise you?" Uh, she was questioning her ability to raise a child when when well, I didn't realize what it was. Well, clearly there's a problem if you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well. She knows that you think that now, mate, because she's an avid listener. Of oh, did I just say so. that out loud? Mm. Mm. So, <laughs> well done. I'm sorry, um, Mrs. Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Hall. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's like she's a teacher or something. Um, uh, well, that's good, mate. Look, I, yeah, it's been a, a fun week. Uh, restrictions are lifting. Uh, mate, we're about to go back to restaurants and cafes. I'm very excited about that. A lot of the work I do is with restaurants and cafes um, on Messy Veggies. So uh, we're very excited to be to be back and, and people getting open again and um, us to be able to tell that story about these great businesses that are doing plant-based food. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's I, I'm, exciting. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might take the the wee boy with me on a couple of outings in the next couple of weeks, and uh, he can he can have fun. Mm. We, uh, Chris and I were discussing that uh, uh, 
uh, Hugh, my son, has never actually been to the supermarket, and it might, really? it might be interesting for him when he goes because it'll be this oh. new space. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> Watch his eyes light up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take mm. I take Henley with us to the supermarket. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. just chuck him in the pram and wheel him around and kind of push everyone that 1.5 meters back. And if they come inside that distance, I kind of, you know, give them the dirties. You I'm not sure like when I'm four trolleys and oh my take them all together and push them I out. thought about building a large ring yeah. that kind of sat on my shoulders and like yeah. a hula hoop, right? Mm. That's one and a half meters on each side. And then just walk through the supermarket, walk through everywhere with it on. So yep. people actually got a sense of what social distancing actually should look like. Yeah. Because you know, we know what it is supposed to be, but we don't follow it to the letter of the law. We think if we, you know, pass someone quickly enough in 30 centimetres of distance, it's okay. Yep. When really that's not what social distancing is, right? No. no. Yeah. Sometimes it's not possible, but, yeah, it it, it does look um, – the reality like looks very different. It's always possible. It's uh, just yeah. not convenient. Correct. And you know, there's been so many times at the supermarket where I have paused at the end of an aisle or stopped um, mm. because there's two people standing somewhere and I want to get past, but I can't maintain that 1.5 meters and I need one of them to move so that I can move. And most of these people are oblivious and I just stand there. Like, yeah. And other times I've had to walk up around aisles around another way. Just <laughs> Well, yeah. look, you're doing the right thing, mate. I've had the exact same thing where I've stopped, waited, and somebody else has come past me and down yep. the aisle, not giving a, a hoot about what's going on. But anyway, uh, look, is what it is. It's all relaxing a little bit now. There's going to be more people out. I hope we can all mm. you know, avoid a second wave, which is what everyone's nervous about. Yeah. At, but, at this stage, it seems to be going pretty well. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And we've so. all stopped. Uh, and I feel like everyone has realized that uh, – that Donald Trump is not a great person. Anyway. <laughs> oh, i tell you what, I, yeah. Let's not go there. Yeah. Big, big conversation. Anyway, yeah. uh, well, look, let's, let's, I feel like we've got a very long yeah. podcast ahead of us. Yeah. So let's not digress any further on what the world looks like right now. Let's take a step back in time. Ooh. Way back. <laughs> and you can take us through the history of the orange. Aren't we, aren't we talking about facts first, mate? Have you got any interesting facts or did oh, you not do your homework? My God, I totally... <laughs> you know what's really weird? I've got my notes in front of me right now. Yeah, and it says facts. The headline says weird facts and I <laughs> <laughs> haven't read any of them out. Okay. Oh, well, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Have you got... Oh, you, so you've got some? Yeah, I've got like... Oh, good. Three okay. or four of them. Right, all right, all right. Okay. Well, the first one I had was what we were hinting at before, and that was about okay the color. Okay. So, the the color was named after the fruit, not the other way around. It was named. The fruit was named of the color that it was. No, no, no. There was no name for the color orange, and they decided to call it the same name as the fruit orange. So the fruit was cut named first. It used to be called red yellow. Really? Yes. Yeah. That is really cool. 
Very, very cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like that fact. Because, Thank you. you know, and you've, I think you've said it, I don't know if you've said it on the podcast, but you've definitely said it to me before about, you know, a carrot or something yeah. else that's orange and like why isn't that like you know exactly but it was and because it was named that joke after the fruit. actually that jokes makes a lot more sense to me now right it's yeah. uh why is a carrot not called an orange mm. yeah because they named an orange because of its color correct yeah yep. so yep. anyway that was kind of cool all right you ready for one from me uh, yeah okay did you know the bigger the navel, so you know the navel oranges, how they've got mm-hmm. like that belly button looking navel. The bigger the navel, the sweeter the orange. That is a really good fact. I mean yes. that's 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 one that uh is oh, this, yeah. this fact is not over yet. Oh so keep going. the navel orange, uh so navel orange, you'll know a navel orange from it looks like a belly button, basically. Yeah. Um on the top of the orange. Uh they're actually seedless which is why I love navel oranges. Um, But if you open up the navel, you'll find a partially developed fruit inside. Ah, it's kind of like a (laughs) tumour. It's not a (laughs) tumour. Yeah, it it always looks a bit bit funny in there. So It It does. Yeah, that's Mm. interesting. There you go. But the bigger Uh, the size of the navel, the sweeter it's going to be. Sweeter. Yeah, mm. oh, that's interesting. Yep. Very cool, huh? Um, the Americans created a superhero, not mm-hmm. part of Marvel, not part of DC, but he was called Captain Citrus, <laughs> and they created him specifically to promote the fruit. What? Yeah. <laughs> Captain Citrus. <laughs> <laughs> I even saw Look, a picture of him as well. <laughs> Can we put that up on the Instagram account? We should, yeah. Okay, should. that'll yeah. be on the Instagram account. That's fantastic. Uh, Captain Citrus. Mm-hmm. Well, look, uh, I can't get too upset about that because there's Banana Man and Apple Man. Yeah. Did you used to watch those that yeah. TV show? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, Citrus Man, that's kind of cool. Captain Citrus, yeah. Captain Planet. I was going to say, do you think they're mates or? I don't know, maybe. Is Captain Planet his boss? Could be. Yeah, right. Yeah. Grows out of the earth, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, next one. Did you know that orange rinds are natural deodorizers? Mm, I didn't. I okay. Did. So uh, if your garbage disposal smells, you can throw orange peels in it and run it for 30 seconds and it'll clear up the smell. Mm-hmm. Um, if your garbage does, is smelling a bit, you can put orange peels down the bottom and it'll clear that up as well. Also, with your shoes, if you put orange rinds inside oh. a pair of pantyhose... Just don't forget and, to take them out. And hang them in the closet or place them near your shoes yeah. overnight, it'll get rid of the smell. Very interesting. Yeah. Very, yep. Do you have smelly feet? Uh, not anymore. I used to have really bad really really bad foot odor to the point where it was embarrassing and i couldn't take my shoes off around people yeah Yeah, okay and that actually changed when i stopped drinking soft drink really yeah wow that's massive Mm. yeah how about that eh oh you got another cool fact yeah so on the orange (laughs) peel on the orange peel side of it yes and I don't feel like this is localized to this, the one area that I'm going to say the fact was from, but I think they were the people who kind of first started using it. But orange peels can be used to remove grease and oil, and it was particularly used in Jamaica. But I think it's a pretty common thing now. 
yeah, yeah. I actually think it's part of um, is it CLR? I'm not really sure. Oh but there's, yeah, but there's orange, orange power. Yeah, orange power yeah. is a thing, yeah. right? They use citrus in the. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, I got one for you as well. Mm. Did you know? that you can pop a balloon with an orange peel. I did know that, yes. <laughs> so do you know why? Oh, uh, no, it's something to do with what's in it or the citrus or... Yeah. yeah. So basically with the balloon that's made out of rubber, mm. um, the uh, mo- fragrant molecules in the oranges, it weakens the latex. Uh, okay. Yep. And uh, makes the balloon pop. So note to self... Do not eat oranges around latex balloons. Mm, mm. You will ruin a kid's party. Yep. Although or, I feel like... Or eat oranges around and show them party <laughs> tricks. <laughs> well, that's cool too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. You got any more for me? Yeah. Um, so Renaissance paintings, there's some paintings out there, particularly The Last Supper, that have uh, oranges on the on the tables. Okay. Um, but that is incorrect because oranges were not cultivated in the middle east until the ninth century so it's the timing's wrong yeah so the paintings may not have been painted in the era yeah what (laughs) renaissance paintings that display oranges on the table like the last supper are wrong because oranges were not cultivated until the ninth century so it's the wrong the wrong era so the painting what so the are the paintings real or they're just fakes or they were painted later later yeah about a certain yeah. time that so was before though yeah so they they're factually inaccurate so they painted oranges when oranges weren't actually there at the time oh my yeah yeah little that's, fakies yeah interesting one that's cool mm. i like that okay mm. i've got one for you as well now this one is a science experiment Right. All right. So this is something you can do at home. Uh, If you've got kids, highly recommend doing it with them. Um, And basically what we're talking about here is density. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if you you get an orange uh, and you drop it into a bowl of water, the orange will float, okay? But if you peel the same orange and drop it into the water, it'll sink. Mm. Mm. Weird, right? Because it's actually... The peel's less dense and holds a bit of air. Yes. So the the rind is really porous and it's Mm. filled with tiny air pockets. So even though you're removing mass from the orange and it's actually reducing its weight, it it becomes heavier because it doesn't have those tiny pockets and density. Change change of buoyancy. Yeah. Amazing, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um. So a really cool one, and I actually think I'm going to do that little experiment and chuck it up on the Instagram as well just to show people how to do it, So, which should be fun. Um, But, yeah, that's a little science experiment for everyone. Cool, huh? Mm. Uh, You got anything else for me? I've I've got one more, but it's more a a story from my childhood rather than a fact. So it depends if you want to do it now or later. Yeah, hit me with it, man. This this is an interesting one because when I when I told my family, I'm the youngest of six kids, when I told my family that we were doing this podcast, oranges came up quite early in the conversation before we'd even <laughs> got around to doing the orange podcast. 
because we had a we had an interesting an interesting thing growing up um and i think i've brought it up in the past that my mum is had some quite alternative beliefs you know particularly related to the onions and how they absorbed disease and sickness from the air yeah uh another one was the orange Okay. So all of us kids remember growing up that under our beds, we all had a rotting orange on a plate. What? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> what? It sounds so weird, like Stop. looking back on it now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Stop. You had a rotting orange. I'm, I'm dead serious, bed. man. Yeah, on a, on a plate. A, okay. a single orange Why? and it would be left there to sit and it would slowly rot over time and it would have mold on the outside of it and all that sort of stuff. Well, I put it out to the family um, oh, probably a week ago and said, I need you guys, because I was quite young at the time and, you know, I'm the youngest and everyone's a bit older and I said, I need you guys to explain to me why why mum did this because I, re- I remember seeing all these rotting oranges and why did she do it? <laughs> But the, the general the general consensus is that there was a thought, and it's and again it's so funny now because I understand how the world works. But the thought was that the mold would help take disease away, so the mold spores. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I feel but like I, it's I think mold opposite. spores now, and I think lung disease and pneumonia. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Haven't you battled with pneumonia before? Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but I, I think that I think that <laughs> theory. <laughs> yeah, I think that theory is founded in um, when penicillin was discovered. Oh yeah, and yeah. they found it in mold and yes. particular t- strains of mold. So maybe that that um, it kind of carried through, and people thought, oh well, if I have mold, then maybe I have penicillin, and it's antibacterial, mm. and that sort of thing. So I don't know, maybe. But hey, look, I haven't asked my mum, but uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's a bit of a stretch, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to think through. You know, if, if you've got a little <laughs> bit of information, you can kind of take it too far the wrong way, and well, that's yeah. very true. Very, very true. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. The only childhood memory I have of oranges is sporting events. Sport, yep. I mean, staples, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just what you have at half time. And they used to rotate it through all the different families. If it was your turn to bring yep. oranges, you'd bring a massive container with uh, quartered oranges and we used to smash them at half time when we were playing yep. soccer. So, yeah. Cool. Yep, I, I've got memory of that too. Always, someone mm. had a plate of oranges. Yeah, yeah. And then you would, you would um, yeah. eat all the, <laughs> eat all the uh, fruit out, and then put the peel in your mouth and have a big yes. orange smile. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. And then, oh uh, did you ever cut teeth in it? No, I never no. got that far. You man. used to cut the teeth out, and you'd smile and have this big toothy. <laughs> yeah. That's good, man. I love mm. it. Oh yep. my gosh, yep. that's so good. funny. Okay, well. That was funny. Yeah. I thought Oranges, it would be interesting so. to discuss. Oh <laughs> yeah. It's already started like a like a hot iron press. I'm not really sure what I'm saying. <laughs> it's started like a hot iron press. Cool. And it's going to finish like I a... I don't know, like a like runaway a... bowling ball. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay. Now can I do my cool intro for you? Go for it. Okay. Okay. 
Now we're going to take a little bit further back. I bloody said it wrong anyway. All right. Look, Tim's going to talk about history. All right, here we go, mate. Let's go. (laughs) So the history. Mm -hmm. Look, um, when it comes to oranges, I I found this super fascinating because there's a lot of stuff here I I, I didn't know and I don't know how much you know about the history of the orange. but um, Zero. The kind of general, well, that's good because I'm going to teach you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, that was what I was kind of hoping for today. Good. I'm ready for a bit of history. Okay. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good one. Mm. Um, the the general consensus is that the orange originated in Asia, but um, they call it like, uh, oh, I can't remember what the name was, but it's kind of um, the monsoonal area in Asia. So it's it's the border of like southwest China to Myanmar, northeastern India, like okay. in the Himalayan foothills, but it's more like um, tropical or subtropical type type climate. Okay. Um, and this this is the bit that I found really interesting because I, I found this um, scientific study, and the title of it is the uh, genomics of the origin and evolution of citrus. So mm-hmm. they do they they do research all citrus, but orange is is part of that. So at the moment, what I'm talking about is the origin of citrus, but orange came from that they all sprouted from the same origin point to okay. all of the citrus fruit that we have all came from this single point really yeah which is fascinating all on its own and i had to look at all the um genome sequencing and how they all came about and incredibly fascinating sorry yeah. can i stop you for one second yeah every single citrus that we have today came from one source yeah yeah wow yeah it, it it's incredible yeah so there's this fossil that they found in uh, – it's a Chinese city. I'm going to get a pronunciation wrong, but it's uh, Yunnan, Yunnan or Yuan, uh, something like that. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and it's in the Miocene period. Uh, so we're talking approximately 8 million years ago, this fossil. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, what they found in this fossil is that uh, it had traits of uh, all the current major citrus groups um, – and shows that it has it is the common citrus ancestor uh, dating back eight million years. So this this study that I read <clears throat> uh, was pieced together by scientists who analysed the genomic data from sixty different varieties, and they created the family tree of citrus, and they they traced it all back to this um, this fossil that they found in the Yunnan province, yeah, in China. Yeah, I think you definitely have pronounced that wrong. Probably. Why you? Why you? Double N A N. Why you? Double N A N. That's kind of cool. Yeah. No, yeah. I think you got it, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just letting uh, Maisie out of the room. She got uh, stuck in here with me. Yeah. Anyway. No, <laughs> carry on. Yeah. So you know, this study is talking about the genetic history of the orange, but citrus dating back mm. eight million years. Yeah. So, so the orange is eight million years old, or no, citrus is citrus. Eight, okay, citrus. But orange came from that. Yeah. So if we if we move forward slightly, uh, yeah. sweet oranges or oranges that we know, but they're generally called sweet oranges because there are there are bitter oranges, which is yes. different again. Yeah. Um. There's there's um. Chinese literature that records um, information about them from about uh, 314 BC. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice. So, you know, you've got this evolutionary process that happened from the, you know, 8 million years ago and mm. they ended up with these sweet oranges. But to go into a little bit more detail, the sweet orange is not the wild fruit that existed, which we said, you know, there's this evolutionary pr- um, process that's happened. Yep. There was a domestication between uh, the cross of, and this is what blew my mind because I, I didn't know this, but a cross of a mandarin and a pomelo. So yes, you I know, know what both of those mandarin fruits. is, yeah. and you know that. Oh, so for those that don't know the pomelo, it's like it's like a Chinese um, grapefruit. Yeah. So it's like a green, yeah, it's a Chinese grapefruit. But the the orange is actually it's forty two percent pomelo and fifty eight percent mandarin. So it's a genetic hybrid of two. Yeah. So there's yeah. so that is the origin of the orange. It's not actually something that grow grew on its own. No, no, it's it's a, a, a cross of those two. Um, so all varieties of sweet orange descended from that original cross. Wow. Yep. That and there's heaps of variations remarkable. of the sweet orange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, originally it came from that. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I mean, how do you even? I I mean, personally, I wouldn't even know where to start to crossbreed something like that. I guess you'd be, you know, merging. Um, Doing some sort of uh, transplants yeah, a, with the tree, um, right? The seedling. So you you kind of cut you cut a little slit and you grab the seedling from the other plant and you put it in there and you tape it up and they grow and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think they're called. Is it slicing or something, something like, that? like that? Yeah. 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 Um, wow. Yeah. So I mean, That's I found cool. that I found that really interesting that this this kind of cross breeding mm. has created this sweet orange that the the world kind of. Um, and I, I look. I'll jump ahead. The, the the sweet orange or orange flavor is the third um, third highest flavor in the world, behind vanilla. And I've skipped ahead of my notes, but it's basically the third the third most popular flavor in the world. Wow! Yeah. So it's you know it's, it's a pretty common <clears throat> thing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's really cool because I don't really like mandarins and I don't like pomelos, but I do like oranges. So. Yep. Yeah. Props to whoever did it. You know, yeah, well that's right. Yeah. It was very clever. Yes, uh, wow. that was interesting. So we've got you know records, Chinese literature, three fourteen BC. So still quite old. Um, but then the, the the early sailors sort of started carrying the, the citrus seeds eastward to uh, Japan and the South Pacific, and then they went west to India and uh, like northern Africa. Um, so it started to propagate out of that kind of monsoonal Asian region. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, again, was I found interesting because I discovered a – and it, it's funny, this term is not used for a race of people, but it was used to define a partic- particular type of people, and I'd never heard of it before. So I went down this research hole of who who these people were and how they lived and everything. So the, um, have you heard of the Moors, M-O-O-R-S? Oh, yes. Ah oh, man, <laughs> I'd never heard of them before. Oh really? Yeah. So only um, only vaguely though. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know a lot about it, but well, I have I'll, heard of them. I'm going to touch on it a little bit, but mm. I'm not going to go into okay. heaps of detail. But the Moors yeah. introduced the orange to Spain, but back yep. then it was known as uh, Al Andalus or uh, the Liberian Peninsula, which is Andalusia. But it's all like Spain and Portugal. Yeah. And they introduced it there, and 
into the 10th century, they had large-scale cultivation going on through that region of uh, oranges particularly. But the Moors were, um, they were Moroccan. So you had the, the ships bringing it over to kind of northern Africa. And then the Moor people, well, the Moors um, were a Moroccan. So the definition I got here is a Moroccan or formerly a member of uh, the Muslim population of what is now Spain and Portugal. Um, they would have been mixed Arab-Spanish and uh, Berber orange, uh, orange, <laughs> orange, <laughs> origin. <laughs> ah, yep, yep. And uh, so they created this Andalusian civilization, which was Spain and Portugal. But then they were the, I think, in the Roman um, kind of expansion, they were they were booted out of the area um, and pushed back into Africa and became refugees. So they they mm. actually were this amazing civilization that then got just got they got shafted and pushed back in Africa and um, so it's kind of between the 11th and 17th century. But really interesting story wow. because it the name doesn't define a race of people. It, mm. A lot of a lot of people of skin color or you know religious persuasion were all lumped into this category and they're called Moors. Yeah. So oh wow. Yeah, interesting. But they they kind of introduced it to Spain and Portugal, and then when the Romans came and conquered, they they then um, expanded where where or, uh, oranges were. Um, so yeah, they were introduced into Sicily in the ninth century during the period of Emirate of Sicily, and and the so that was citrus fruits, but bitter orange was particularly one of those. But then the sweet orange took a little bit longer to come in. And it, so you're going from the 9th century to the 15th century is how long it took. Wow. Um, and then what happened was uh, the Italian and Portuguese merchants brought orange trees kind of into the Mediterranean area. So it started to propagate out a bit further. Uh, and then in 1646, the sweet orange was right through Europe and Louis of France, uh, he particularly loved orange trees, and he built he built this thing called the Orangeries um, at the Palace of Versailles. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think I read somewhere that he had a thousand orange trees in silver silver pots. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's how much he loved orange trees, and obviously silver, you know, expensive back then. So yeah, pumped, pumped a lot of money into these these Man. orange trees. That would have looked amazing. It would have been yeah, just spectacular. Yeah, a thousand orange trees in silver pots. Yeah, yeah. can you imagine walking through that? No, I can't. Oh no. my gosh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah, imagine you know, if it was all polished up and the trees were you know all oh. fully fruiting and yeah, it'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, mate, I'll tell you what, if that was around today. It'd be one of the most Instagrammed places in the yeah. world. Can you imagine? Reckon? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Unbelievable. Probably, probably listed as a, a you know a wonder of the modern world type. Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, a thousand orange trees. Yeah. If anyone's listening and and grows oranges, there's an idea for you. Silver pots. Chuck them all in silver <laughs> pots. Right. Yep. Make some and extra don't, money. Don't skimp on the metal. No silver. <laughs> Proper silver. Yeah. Yeah, nine two seven. Is it nine two seven? Is the uh, three number? Uh, yeah, anyway. something like that. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> let's let's go back in time. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me take uh, you back. Derailed it with Instagram. <laughs> yep. Carry on. Ah, uh, yeah. So you know, um, Louis 
he had this love and they they were all through through Europe um but then we talk about how oranges got from Europe to kind of uh the American continent and this was during uh you know the age of exploration particularly with Christopher Columbus and all these guys what are you laughing at? I'm just waiting for you to go Thomas Jefferson <laughs> <laughs> no not in my notes this time oh, good carry on Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, 1493, Christopher yeah. Columbus's second voyage, mm-hmm. um, he's thought to have planted fruit in uh, Mexico, or I say Mexico, but the, the the notes say Hispanola, but you know, in the Hispanic region. Um, and uh, yeah, and during the during the mid 1500s. He also introduced uh, South America and those kind of areas as well, uh, and Florida, which is particularly important for later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mid 15th century, you've got oranges into Florida. Yep. And uh, they're well known for their oranges, Florida. Correct. Mm. Yeah. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, actually. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. No, that's right. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, 1707. Between 1707 and 1710, we had uh, Spanish missionaries bringing oranges to Arizona specifically. So um, you had Florida in the mid-1500s, but it wasn't until the 1700s that that they're further into Arizona. And then by 1769, uh, the the Franciscans brought the same, and they they brought orange trees to San Diego and uh, in California. so <clears throat> it, interesting to see that the orange tree didn't go from Florida and expand through the U.S. It actually took more people mm. journeying from overseas to kind of land at different places and, you know, cultivate oranges. Uh, so it was in- interesting. There's this orchard that was planted uh, in 1804 um, in in modern-day Los Angeles, which is uh, would have been would have been interesting. I read I read one about um, this big orange grove that was in Sydney, right? Kind of what is now you know downtown CBD Sydney. There was yeah. like a a thousand acre orange plantation, or I think it was a thousand. It was pretty big, yeah. Wow, um, this huge kind of or- orange orchard. Uh, and Louisiana was thought to have have had orange oranges introduced by French explorers. Um, so you you know Spanish and French and all these different people kind of coming and bringing the orange tree with them. So yeah, what that tells you is it was quite quite common in Europe and everybody had oranges and everybody wanted to take oranges with them. But um, it, it's particularly because of scurvy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to talk a little bit more about it in the nutrition, but when when scurvy was found and when they found the reason for scurvy, oranges were pretty common on the sailing ships. Mm-hmm. And they were so common that um, the Portuguese, Spanish and Dutch sailors during the age of exploration would actually plant the trees along their routes so that they knew they had places that they could get oranges when they traveled there again. So they didn't have to load up full of oranges. They would just plant them everywhere they went. That's and very then, clever. Yeah, so which is why so you kind see, of on their trade routes. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, and wow. and that was it was planted purely for a nutritional reason um, mm. to help with the sailing. Yeah, well, I am going to touch on that in more detail because, yeah. um, and I'm actually going to read you some text 
from a book that was written in 1753 by the guy who discovered the cure for scurvy. Right. Okay. Well, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that up to that point, that's the history of the oranges. But the next the next section talks about more of the recent history. But I, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to go into. This is a little bit different. This is less history of the orange and more history of why why the orange has the stature it has today in in our current in our current I guess I want to say food pyramid, but um, just specifically, it's it's quite common for people to think oranges. They think health. They think vitamin C. They you know mm-hmm. a glass of orange juice is healthy for us. And yes. why do we think that? Because it may not necessarily be the case. Or yes. as we discovered, particularly in the last episode, that snow peas might have gram for gram more vitamin C than oranges, or <laughs> beetroot, or you know something else. There, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. other things out there we can have a vitamin C. So I kind of want to go into some of the background about how we ended up in that position. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. essentially this is why we relate vitamin C to oranges. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Because, I mean, that is exactly what I think yeah. immediately. And it's a it's, classic case of clever marketing. You know, yeah. to sum it up, it's clever marketing by big business. Okay. But how did we end up in that position? Like, yeah. Why Why did big business need to market vitamin C? That's That's the story. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, hit me with this story because I'm. I feel like I'm more interested in this. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I'm really interested. In it, it is interesting, and I've, I I've, love marketing yeah. concepts that are pushed onto uh, society. Be there any reasons? And I mean, you know, most of the time, the reasons behind these kind of strategies are profit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So a low cost form to get something. And if we can market it right and get people to think it, then it allows us to be more profitable, right? I I feel like that's generally why these things happen. Mm. So I would love to know if that's – I I don't want to get – I feel like I'm taking it away from you. So go, just start. (laughs) Sorry. The the whole story I feel is it's it's long and it's in-depth and it's – I guess it's kind of nuanced and I don't want to lose – I don't want to like – take a position in the, in what I think is true, but I'm just going to go through some of the, the key information and, and we can kind of, people can come to their own decisions about whether it's, that's how we ended up there. Or I, I just find like you, I find it really interesting to think about how we got to this situation and you know, how it all, all the kind of gears work together. And yeah. Yeah. So it, it goes back to about the 1920s. Um, and uh, back then, you know, Obviously, cure for scurvy was quite well known, but there was other things like um, uh, it. No, it was being touted to uh, cure listlessness and um, a rare blood condition called acidosis. So, there's, there's these other things that they promoted that it could do, right? So, um, there was this chemist called Elmer McCollum, and at the time, he, he kind of became this unofficial nutritionist for. The nation, and I'm talking about the U.S. nation here, and it's kind of early 1920s when he really heavily promoted uh, vitamins, and it became known back then as Vitamania, and it was mm-hmm. like a, a thing where you had Vitamania. But he warned against vitamin deficits in people and the the severe 
severe problems that could happen with these deficits, right? Yep. So smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the concept's right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the National Fruit Growers Exchange under the Sunkist brand. So this, you're talking about this corporation <laughs> called Sunkist. Stop. They created. <laughs> Is that the same as yeah. the? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Go yeah. on. <laughs> they they created this national campaign promoting drinking daily doses of orange juice uh, for its health-giving vitamins, rare mm-hmm. salts, and acids. So they jumped on this Vitamania and started promoting drinking orange juice um, to, to help with this Vitamania. And yeah. to put into context, back then, orange juice was not the fresh orange juice that we have today. It was um, it was boiled and tinned into the metal cans. So it was, oh. it was actually gross to drink, and people didn't really jump on board too much and but it, in tin cans yeah, yeah yeah have you ever drank orange juice from a tin can no it reminds me of, have you seen there's an episode of the office where saber the new company takes over yeah. dunder mifflin and yeah. they give out all these metal water bottles to everyone and michael scott goes and gets orange juice and gives <laughs> it to everyone and, Pours it into these metal things. That'll and be as why. As soon as they take a sip of it, they're like, oh, yeah. oh it's tinny, isn't it? Mm. Like, it's really a, not a good taste. No, no. Well, apparently, orange juice back in the 20s came in tin cans, metal cans, because they, wow. I don't think back then they were tin. They were they were proper metal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That'd yeah. be horrible. So, <laughs> so, not not ideal, not an ideal product. Um, um, yeah. So, um, what happened was this. Uh, Elmer McCollum, he actually he started to move away from the Vitamania and focused his attention on on acid specifically, and then he he kind of termed the coin acidosis, mm-hmm. and um, he created this panic in the in society about the excessive acid in the body caused specifically by eating meat, eggs, and bread, and in in his words, the cure was to eat more citrus, so the citrus would counteract the acid. Uh, well, it was citrus and cabbage, I think, but mainly citrus is what he yeah. was kind of promoting. And then in 1929, um, he created this acidosis awareness book. And it was, or some call it advertising because it was kind of funded by Sunkist. And he, cre- <laughs> he created this. He created this booklet, or some sites call it a uh, Sunkist advertisement, and it, <laughs> it illustrates. Yeah, that's right. And it illustrates the devastating effects um, of this acidosis thing. Okay. So, kind of cash for comments, I guess, in a way. Yeah, but okay. um, there's, I've got this quote from this booklet. Right, Estelle seemed to lack vitality, didn't even make an effort to be entertaining. Hence, she did not attract men. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez, so, it was another time, wasn't it? Just crazy, right? So, yeah, this <clears throat> acidosis has caused her to not make an effort, which means she's not going to find a man. Okay. <laughs> well, you know what the cure for that is? <sighs> a fresh uh, can of Sunkist. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, you know, you've got this marketing campaign talking about acidosis and how it will cure, you know, yeah. not real illnesses, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they, they kept promoting consuming oranges in any form, so whether it was okay. fresh or tinned or whatever, and and, and Sunkist promoted this kind of acidosis um, cure and that they would say that uh, it was impossible to overindulge in oranges because of this mm-hmm. this acidosis curing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you've got this going on for uh, until 1934, 
when uh, some scientists actually started labeling acidosis as more of a fad than than a real thing. (laughs) And they said specifically oranges have zero effect on whatever it effect that he is, you know. (laughs) Was touting. Yeah. Yeah, so the cat was out of the bag on this one. Yeah, and so what happened was is that the marketing kind of flicked back to vitamin C. So they went back from from the acidosis back to the vitamin C because this acidosis thing was fake. Yeah, Mm. Um, and then we're in World War II, right? So now World War II comes around. The American government uh, is on the vitamin C bandwagon for the troops, so yeah. they all need vitamin C in their ration packs. Yeah. So what the the U.S. Department of Agri- Agriculture uh, encouraged uh, the Florida citizens to grow more oranges. So they 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 really encouraged this to happen, particularly in the Florida region. Yeah. And then what they did was they put these kind of dehydrated vitamin C sachets in the the troops ration packs, um, and they were like these lemon crystal things, and they so they they switched it to a. a a citrus orange. So they were using these lemon crystals and then they, the troops didn't like it. So it kind of forced their hand with the vitamin C and oranges. Yeah. Uh, so with support of the U S federal government, the Florida department of citrus, um, and a group of scientists, they kind of developed this new product for the troops Hmm. and, um, created this new dehydrated, um, vitamin C made from oranges that they could use. Right. Is it Tang? Probably, because apparently it's quite quite um, popular in America. It's like this frozen vitamin C concentrate. Yeah. Oh, I think Tang is like a powder. Yeah, it, that it it's probably it. If frozen, dehydrated, it'll turn into a powder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't look at uh, brands or anything, but yeah, um, Tang. Mm. Artificially flavored drink. Awesome. Yeah. Well, although this one came into effect in um, 1957, so maybe it's not that. It's after the war. Uh, yeah. Maybe it came um, about commercially after the after the war. But anyway, yeah, sorry, I digress. Go on. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so you've got the Department of Citrus. They're trying to, they're trying to develop something better to offer, offer the people because what they had was not great, right? Yeah. So the situation now is that... Uh, You've got this kind of really fertile region in Florida that's producing way too many oranges for the people to consume, um, partly because of the format that they were trying to make people consume it and people didn't like it. They were still boiling the, you know, the orange juice and putting it in cans and people didn't like that and that sort of thing. But because the government really forced this orange production, you had way too many oranges for consumption and enter more marketing, right, to try and sell the product. Yeah. So you've got marketing campaigns that had uh, cures from being single, which we kind of talked about before, curing the, <laughs> and and curing the common cold. Like they're they're yes. just basically saying whatever they could to get people to consume. Well, more that's, that's now. People tell you when you start getting a cold, have more vitamin C. More vitamin C. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's a very yeah. common thing for. For someone to say to you yes, when you're starting to get a cold, yeah. have more vitamin C. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. it's almost the first thing people say. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy, right? So this um this whole industry was under threat of 
collapsing because they just had no way of selling all these oranges. And that's when that's when these scientists um, developed this frozen frozen concentrated orange juice, and um, it it started to become really popular. So um, in 1948, it took them a decade of research. They they introduced the the concentrated orange juice, and then. So this is 1948, and then in, mm. in 1949, Florida's orange processing plants were churning out 10 million gallons of concentrated orange juice, and I converted that for all us metric people, 37.85 million liters of orange juice for these for this concentrated orange juice, right? My damn. So in one year, that shows you, <laughs> that shows you one, how many oranges they were growing, and two, how yeah. much they had in surplus. Yeah. Yeah, and plus we've got to remember that back in 1948, was it? Yeah. Population of the globe yeah. was a lot less yep. than what we are currently. Correct. So yeah. that's a lot. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's huge, which is why I said we'd come back to Florida because it really kind of centrals <laughs> around this this region of Florida. Um, so then in 1952 an American can company advertised that frozen orange juice had saved housewives the equivalent of 14,000 years of drudgery, uh, 14,000 hours of drudgery that year. Stop. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they by this stage they'd introduced um, like a fresher version of orange mm-hmm. juice that you could you could drink and similar to what we have today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it goes on to talk about. I we can talk about how it keeps going, but I think I, I want to stop at this point because what what what's happened now is that we've created an industry that is too big to fail, and it's kind of this self perpetuating where the government pushed it early in you know in World War Two and and built this industry, and then mm. all of a sudden you've got all these people involved. Mm-hmm. And they have to keep their jobs, and yeah, and this this kind of promotional machine keeps going, and and there's yeah. too many jobs and too much money at stake. So you have to get creative with the marketing and keep keep the people interested, and yeah, you know, fresh orange juice is healthy. Which nowadays people are not saying it's healthy. There's too much sugar, and you know all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, health people will say consume a whole orange, not orange juice, and yes, you know yeah. that sort of thing. Which I'm sure you're going to talk more about a whole. We're going to talk about that. Yep. But if you look at all the steps that happened, and and yeah. Australia, we particularly you know over that time we really followed America, so it mm-hmm. only made sense that we copped all of the marketing and and the same kind of um, flow of information that they got. But this this industry was built out of a, a need for p- potentially something that wasn't really that accurate. Yeah, and, and we now have this massive industry today that is just huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot less, a uh, lot less drudgery in the world, but you know, <clears throat> yeah. Jesus, that's yeah. uh, fantastic. Oh yeah. my gosh! But, well, I uh, just Brazil is now the up. largest, largest oh, producer of oranges. Yeah. Oh yeah! Wow. Yep. Yeah. So I quickly looked up Tang. Mm. So Tang is uh, a powdered version. It's an orange concentrate, basically a powdered yep. orange concentrate. Yeah, uh, which came out in um, it was used by early NASA space flights mm. in 1962. Yeah. Um, so I think that that kind of plays into that more as well. 
It's the it, it's my the understanding, right? The U.S. Yeah. government is just yeah. yeah. Well, it's my understanding that the the powdered orange concentrate is still quite popular in the U.S. Oh yeah, Tang is a it's yeah. massive. Um, yeah. But that just yeah. shows the, how these marketing campaigns can they're generational. If you if you and I, I'm going to say this word, a powerful word, but if you brainwash a generation. <laughs> that can that can last for a long time, you know. Those parents teach it to their kids and so on and so forth. And yeah, yeah. well, it's the construction of social norms. Yeah, you know, through powerful marketing, mm. because uh, it was done with cigarettes. Yep, I'm not saying that oranges are cigarette. Oranges are very good for you, but you know the the powerful influence of of marketing. Mm. Um, I, I think, think the takeaway. Oh, well, I just think I think sometimes we undersell how powerful it can be, mm. you know, uh, yes. even today, like and where I would say that the consumer is a lot more savvy um, with information and research. Um, but even today, a lot of people can be hoodwinked by a great marketing campaign. Mm. And we're, I think we're bombarded with more marketing these days than they would have got in the past because it would have been – in the past it would have been maybe, you know, radio or yeah. a newspaper or a, a flyer in the street or something, whereas mm. now it's on our screens in front of us 24-7. Yeah. yeah. I, I almost think that desensitizes us sometimes to marketing. Mm. But, again, if it's a really good campaign, I think it has the potential to influence – the masses. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think uh, the takeaway from this is, and in the age of Facebook and fake news and, and all that sort of stuff is just ask questions. You know, yeah. when you see something and you see, and someone, uh, you know, in the, in the world of um, weightlifting and gyms, it's called bro science. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody says something, don't just necessarily believe that that's the fact, you know, go and just go and check it for yourself and yeah. find some credible sources. And yeah, yeah. Uh, more than one source. Don't just read a blog. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I don't call that as a credible resource either. So well, unless the person writing that <laughs> blog is a, you know, has um, trained in that industry and is, is you know, a recognized yeah. professional and yeah. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Wow, man, that was really interesting. I loved that segment. Mm. Yeah, I, I I spent hours and hours and hours reading about <laughs> it. I, I was fascinated because I really wanted to know why we think of oranges the way we do. Yeah. yeah. I loved yeah. it, mate. That was really good. Yeah, so that was uh, the history and the marketing history of the orange. Should we talk nutrition and medicinal uses with the orange? Definitely. Okay. So as always, we are going to basically run over the nutrients of about 100 grams of or the orange and basically give you the rundown of what it, its nutritional profile is. And then we're going to run into the health benefits of it. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, orange juice versus oranges uh, and then we're going to get into some medicinal stuff. So there's going to be some Chinese 
uh, herbal medicinal uses for the oranges. And also I'm going to start talking about scurvy, which we touched on earlier as well. Cool. Because yep. um, when I was reading about this and I was doing the medical re- like the medical history um, of oranges and what they used to use them for, and I came across scurvy, it's something that I know, have heard of, but don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep. Like if, if I was to say... You know, sailors suffered from scurvy. Um, would you know, like, what that looked like? What is scurvy? Yeah, well, it was just the nutritional deficiency of vitamin C in the body. Yeah, but yeah. do you know what? Uh, probably yeah. not. I, I probably would have in the past, but it's been so long that I've forgotten. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had no idea. Yeah. I just knew that it killed people. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's all I knew. So we're going to get into that, but let's let's jump back. And let's talk oranges from the from the very core of what they are. Okay. So Man- mandarins um, and pomelos. <clears throat> correct. <laughs> Fifty-eight to forty-two yep. percent. Um, okay. So look, a lot of the information, as always, I get a lot of the nutritional benefits from uh, Healthline.com. It's a phenomenal website. Uh, mm. It's always all of these articles are written by people that are distinguished in their own individual yep. areas like nutritionist yeah everything is well referenced and well laid out too the information's really easy to access absolutely yep. so yep. i mean if you're looking for any information about anything i would suggest running there first it's always a really good source of information so um okay so oranges really good source of fiber vitamin c thiamine folate antioxidants lots of health benefits if we look at 100 grams of uh, an orange, it basically looks like it's about 47 calories, 87% water, uh, about 0.9 grams of protein. Carbs are about 12 grams. There's about 9.5 grams of natural sugars in it, 2.5 grams of fiber, and a little bit of fat, nothing really. Um, so it's mainly composed of carbs and and water Mm. Uh, you know the simple sugars such as glucose fructose and sucrose um, are the dominant things inside of uh, oranges but uh, it's really funny this uh, you know when we talk about sugars and I'm going to talk about FODMAP as well with oranges as well because um, as soon as you start talking about sugary uh, fruits or sugary vegetables or something like that you know FODMAP comes into it straight away. Um, But despite how sugar-laden an orange is, they actually have a really low glycemic index. So, again, we've touched on this before, but uh, low glycemic index, or GI, is it's basically measuring how quickly sugar enters your bloodstream. Mm. And low GI is um, associated with a lot of health benefits. So... uh, so you're going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, did you did you happen to come across like the GI? And we've we talked about this in a couple of other um, podcasts, but uh, it, it's generally kind of mitigated by the fiber, which is why even though it's high in sugar, it binds to the fiber. So the GI Correct. would change if you were drinking orange juice versus the whole fruit. Correct. Yeah. So oranges low GI is explained by the high polyphenol and fiber content. Yep. which moderates your rise in blood sugar with eating an orange. Yep. All right? So it's very different when you 
eat an orange as to drinking orange juice. Mm. Very different. Yeah, you need the fiber um, to kind of carry the the sugars through the the small intestine. Well, yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's right. So, um, as we mentioned, fiber really important. Um, a large orange, which is a little bit more than 100 grams, so it's about 184 grams, has about 18 percent of like the reference daily intake. <laughs> a, l- of- a little bit more, 100 grams to 184, so yeah, c- almost double. <laughs> correct. Yeah. <laughs> Hundreds to 184. Yeah, it's only a little little bit more. more. (laughs) Take it easy. (laughs) Anyway, it didn't sound like that much more. I don't know why I... Anyway. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, man. Yeah, no worries. So double what we talked about before. But anyway, it's about 18% of your daily intake for fiber. So just this is one orange. Yep, yep. All right? So really good place to get that. Um, Let's talk vitamins and minerals because this is really where an orange Mm. comes into its own uh so number one what we all think and what we all know from an orange is vitamin c so despite good marketing vitamin c is uh, oranges is a really good source of vitamin c Mm -hmm. um that large orange 184 grams gives you a hundred percent of your vitamin c for the day right So, but if you compare it to a snow pea, 100 yes, grams. 100 grams. Correct. That yeah. is correct. So we're talking 100 grams of snow peas gives you 100% of your daily intake for yeah, vitamin so- C, and 184 grams of oranges gives you your 100% of daily intake for vitamin yeah. C. Well, 184 grams of snow peas would be 180% of your daily intake. You are just a mathematician, aren't you? I know. I know. Look at you. It's just a little bit more. I had to I had to quickly calculate that. <laughs> Yeah, so smart, SMRT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, again, you're right. Snow peas probably um, is, is a bigger dose of vitamin yep. C per 100 grams than what oranges are. Yeah, but so, I think there's two, two key differences. Yes. Snow peas are not sweet. No. Um, so not great to eat raw. And and the oranges you generally eat raw, and vitamin C is damaged by heat. So once you cook the snow pea, you're going to reduce it, and you know, so you 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 start to level the playing field. But obviously, oranges how much is leveling the playing field? Not that much. I would say that I would suggest that snow peas are still um, a better way to get your vitamin C. Yeah. Yeah. Even cooking it down, you'd still get more vitamin C from 100 grams than Mm. you would from orange. But uh, we digress. Thiamine. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the B vitamins, B1. Um, so, again, it's a really good source for that. Uh, folate. It's um, So orange is a really good source of absorbable folic acid. So that's a good key difference there is sometimes you can have folate in uh, fruits and vegetables, but it's not often bioavailable. Yep. Um, whereas oranges, the folate is actually a really absorbable type of folic acid, so it's it's good for you. Um, I would suggest, you know, mothers to be, if you're looking to increase folate, which a lot of um, mm. a lot of pregnant women are trying to do, having oranges would be a really good way to do that. Um, it's also a really good source of potassium as well. Um, so, I mean, high intake of potassium can actually lower your blood pressure. Do, um, do you have do you have the daily daily value of potassium there? What's the percentage of daily? Do you know? 
I don't have... No, that's okay. I just uh, wondered how it compared to bananas. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I will look into it. Mm. All I know is that it's a good source for potassium. Yep, yep. Um, which is good for... So people with high levels of um, blood pressure, it's actually good at reducing that uh, to bring it down a bit. And it also reduces your risk of heart disease, which... I mean, it's a, basically a byproduct of reducing your blood pressure. Uh, so let's talk more health benefits of the oranges. So we're going to talk heart health now. Um, so, uh, look, heart disease is probably one of the biggest killers in the world. I think it might be the biggest. Yeah. Uh, it's not a good thing. No. Hmm. Um, and there's a couple of things in oranges that uh, have some protective effects against heart disease. So the flavonoids, um, especially the hesperidin uh, in oranges, have this protective um, effect against heart disease. Uh, there's also some clinical studies in humans that note that the daily intake of orange juice, so we're talking orange juice here, for four weeks has a blood thinning effect and can reduce blood pressure significantly. So I would suggest um, when we talk about orange juice intake, although you're not getting the fiber that we often talk about, uh, if you are taking orange juice, I would say trying to find one that's 100% orange Orange juice, or not juice your concentrate. Own. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm just talking to the lazy people out I, there. I think those which studies. Is myself. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I think those studies on orange juice. They give juice because someone may not want to sit down and eat four oranges, but if they have one juice, it's the equivalent. So yeah, you know, it's that's that's generally why they put it in juice form because it's easier to just get a whole heap in them and in one go. Yeah. Correct. Um, but in saying that, fiber does play a role. Um, so intake of isolated fibers from citrus fruits has actually been shown to decrease blood cholesterol levels. Yep. So when they're taken together, it's likely that that regular consumption of oranges can lower your risk of heart disease. Mm. So it's, it's doing two things. So we're not just thinning your blood out so that we can reduce blood pressure by drinking orange juice. When you take it with the fiber, it actually is reducing your cholesterol levels as well, Yeah, which yep. kind of works hand in hand to prevent heart disease. Mm. Yeah. Pretty cool. Very. Mm. Um, next one. We're going to talk kidney stone prevention. Oh. Um, so, uh, so oranges are a really good source of citric acid, um, which is believed to help prevent kidney stone formation. So um, potassium citrate is often prescribed to patients with kidney stones. Uh, it's the citrates in oranges that seem to have the similar effects. So um, potassium citrate is like the medical... Um, Active uh, ingredient. Well, the yeah. medicine that's actually prescribed to people with kidney stones mm. and oranges have those citrates in them, right. plus mm. potassium as well, which we just touched on before. So it can have similar effects. And this is based on a couple of studies um, mm -hmm. uh, that can sort of help with kidney stone prevention. Yep. Um, anemia prevention. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So anemia is basically a condition that is low levels of red blood cells or hemoglobin. Um, it's often referred to as iron deficiency. Um, so although oranges are not a really good source of iron, um, they're an excellent source of organic acids such as vitamin C, um, which increase your body's uh, ability to absorb iron in the digestive tract. So we've, we've spoken about this before when we spoke about snow peas and beetroots yeah. and broccoli broccoli yeah. uh, we, we've spoken about this at length you know when you are eating plant-based foods uh and you need to increase your iron intake a really good way to do that is to pair your high iron um sources like legumes and um oh your green leafies Exactly. Yep. Uh, yep. Pairing that with a something high in vitamin C mm. is actually a really good thing to do. Yep. Um, which is really cool. Um, so again, that's touching towards preventing anemia, which is your iron deficiencies. Uh, the next part is a little bit weird and cool. All hmm. right. I like it. Yeah. Adverse effects. Mm -hmm. uh, not many people have an orange allergy, but it is a possibility. Really? Yeah. Um, yep. For people that actually experience heartburn, consumption of oranges can actually make that worse. It's that um, organic acid and the citric acid in the vitamin C that actually can make your heartburn a lot worse, Yep. which is... yep. Not good. I also found a bit of stuff on um, its interaction with some medications. Yep. Which was really fascinating for me. It was mostly grapefruit. Mm. So when you're taking certain types of medication, you can't eat grapefruit because it basically cancels out the medication that you're on. Wow. Really crazy. Yep. Uh, and sometimes oranges, because they're kind of similar um, in their genetic makeup, they can cause those sorts of, um, you know, uh, cancellation of these certain medicines. Mm. So it's mostly grapefruit. Most of the text that I've read is about grapefruit, but oranges can have that, um, you know, sort of um, impact on some medicines as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Crazy, huh? that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I yeah. found it really weird, and I was like, "This can't be right." So I was yeah. like, doing more and more searching. Yeah, you see that? Rabbit you asked a question. It. This can't be right. Let me check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, another thing as well that uh, I found really cool is that the orange peel, which um, a lot of people kind of disregard although zesting of oranges uh into certain meals is is kind of um it's common common yeah so the orange peel actually has um higher amounts of some nutrients uh than the flesh does mm. so incorporating the zest of an orange into you know some of your cooking uh, can actually give you a bit of a, a boost to your diet. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking about um, antihistamine release and anti-inflammatory activities um, yep. of the fruit peels, which is cool. 
Uh, FODMAP. Mm. Yes. Okay. Good old FODMAP. So uh, FODMAP's basically, uh, look, uh, if I dumb it right down, and I, um, I, I apologize to the FODMATs out there, but it's basically uh, fructose, right? Mm. There's, a, there's a lot more to it. <laughs> but let's we, just we, we discussed it in um, yeah. tomatoes? Yeah. So yep. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more. It, there's more to it than that. But basically when we're talking about fruits, so all fruits contain a FODMAP fructose, um, but not all fruits are considered high in FODMAPs. Um, yeah. That's because some fruits contain less fructose than others. Um, some fruits contain high amounts of glucose, which is non a non-FODMAP sugar. Mm. And uh, that's really important because glucose actually helps your body to absorb fructose. So um, it's pretty much why fruits that are high in both fructose and glucose typically, and I use that loosely, um, don't cause gut symptoms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, I get it. Yep. Yeah. So it's only fruits with – it's the so only – the balances out and there's too yeah. much fructose, then it potentially has uh, an effect. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So it's usually the fruits with more fructose than glucose mm. that are considered high FODMAP. Mm-hmm. And oranges uh, air on the lower side, yeah, for low in FODMAPs. I just mm. remembered we talked about it in the Onions podcast. Oh, yes. FODMAP. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get to more about FODMAP in the garlic episode when we yep. eventually get to garlic, which mm-hmm. is going to be – I feel like garlic might be a double episode, but we will get to that. Oof. Yeah, garlic's a good one. Yeah, there's yeah. a massive medical history yep. to garlic. Yeah. Yep. But um, anyway, I digress. Okay, let's talk medicinal because mm-hmm. this is pretty cool. So um, – this is a kind of an extract from a book called Ancient Wisdom Modern Kitchen by Huan Wang, Warren Shear, and Mika Ono. So I they feel s- like I've seen this. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel like I've. Yep. Mm. So they talk about uh, Chinese medicine. Mm. Uh, so in traditional, and uh, I actually found this quite interesting because I didn't look into the history at all. Mm. Um, yeah, as soon as you no said idea. you had an ancient Chinese, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it ties yeah. together. So because yeah. it was, you know, one of the first cultivations in China, mm. you would you would naturally think that it would have a place in Chinese medicine. Mm. Um, uh, no large-scale marketing campaigns, though, that I came across. Mm. Um, but in traditional Chinese medicine, the orange is considered sweet and sour in flavor. It's cool to cold in temperature. So it enters the lung and stomach channels, generating fluids, treating thirst, calming restlessness, and contouring some types of nausea and vomiting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So yeah. uh, that's a little bit to do with Chinese medicine, what they'd use it for. Kind of like a general tonic to just calm down and feel a bit better and yeah, yeah. quench your thirst. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The next part of the medicinal history that we're going to talk about is scurvy. I love it. Yeah. So uh, we've all heard of scurvy. We have, absolutely. But this is basically, we're going to be talking about um, a Scottish physician. So Mm -hmm. 
my my heritage is is Scottish. My father's from Scotland. Um, so this is great to read that uh, a Scottish physician came up with the cure to scurvy. Yep. Um, and this is basically from, you know, I found a bit of this information from a book called Health and Medicine Through History um, from Ancient Practices to 21st Century. And it's by uh, Ruth Clifford Engs. Um, but basically they talk a bit about this Scottish physician named James Lind, uh, who's often considered the father of naval medicine. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So um, basically they were looking into his experiments on scurvy in 1747, uh, which, again, plays into what you were talking about in the shipment around the globe of um, citrus was quite prevalent in the 1700s, which yeah. um, kind of is exactly what this was talking about as well. Um, so scurvy, I'll give you a kind of brief thing about scurvy scurvy usually occurred on long voyages and it's actually um it's actually responsible for killing more people than in naval battles wow i didn't know so that scurvy killed more people than yeah. killed in actual battles yeah. in the navy which Jeez. is crazy and it's just purely um caused by a lack of vitamin c yeah that so is what scurvy is. What 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 happens to the body? Did you did you look into yes. it? What happens? Yeah. So symptoms and signs of severe scurvy. All right. Basically, swollen, spongy, purpley gums that bleed a lot. Uh, loose teeth, bulging eyes. You bleed into the skin, so severe and really easy to bruise. Yep. Um, you get scaly, brownish skin. You have. Um, Previously healed scars open up again. Jeez. Yeah. Um, bleeding into the joints and muscles and areas calling swelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and also there's a lot of premature stopping of bone growth in babies and children. Oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when we talk about, and, and none of that actually sounds like that's what's going to kill someone, but untreated scurvy kind of leads to complications uh, including anemia, which is, mm. you know, iron deficiency, and heart attacks and death. Right. I was going to say, so what, what actually kills someone, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so James Lynn, though, was on a mm. ship in 1947 where he conducted an experiment. And this is back, they didn't know about scurvy being a lack of vitamin C's until the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, but James Lind was on a ship in 1747 where he conducted an experiment on sailors who were victim to scurvy. And what I'm about to read you is an extract from his book called um, Treatorize, A Treatorize on the Scurvy, which was written in 1753. And he describes the experiment that he actually did. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read this whole thing to you because... I loved it yep. and thought it was so, like, just crazy, like cool. what they did back then. So yeah. I'm just going to read it to you. So this is just a direct extract from this book. Um, on the 20th of May, 1747, I selected 12 patients in the, in the scurvy on board the Salisbury at sea. Their cases were as similar as I could have them. 
they all in general had putrid gums, the spots and lassitude, the weakness of their knees. They lay together in one place, being a proper apartment for the sick in the forehold and had one diet in common to all. Okay, so they had yeah. all had the same diet, mm-hmm. which was water gruel sweetened with sugar in the morning, fresh mutton broth, oftentimes for dinner, uh, at other times light puddings, uh, boiled biscuits with sugar, and for supper barley and raisins, rice and currants, sago and wine, or the like. Jesus. Yeah. Sounds delicious. Oh, horrible, right? (laughs) Okay. So two of these were ordered each a quart of cider a day. Mm -hmm. So he's got 12 patients, okay? Two of them were were given a quart of cider a day. Two others took 25 drops of elixir vitriol, which is a diluted sulfuric acid, three times a day. Until uh, upon an empty stomach, uh, using a gargle of it in their mouths. Two others took two spoonfuls of vinegar three times a day upon empty stomachs, uh, having their gruels and their other food sharpened with vinegar, uh, as also the gargle for their mouth. And two of the worst patients, uh, with the tendons in the ham quite rigid, the symptoms none of the others had, and this is the crazy part for me, were put under a course of seawater. What? Yeah. Of this, they drank half a pint every day and sometimes more or less as it operated by way of gentle physique. So they prescribed two of them with seawater. Jeez. Horrible, right? And we know now that seawater is terrible for you. Yeah. Right? Okay. Two others each had two oranges and one lemon given to them every day. These they ate with greediness at different times upon an empty stomach. Okay. They continued, but six six days under this course, having consumed the quantity that could be spared, the two remaining patients took the bigness of the nutmeg three times a day uh, of an electuary, uh, so a medicated paste with honey, recommended by a hospital surgeon made of garlic, mustard seed, horseradish, um, basam of Peru, and <laughs> gum uh, using as a common drink barley water boiled with tamarinds, um, by which the addition of cream of tartar and they were gently purged three or four times during the course. So the last two had like this crazy heavy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The consequence was... Um, that the most sudden and visible good effects were the ones that were eating the oranges and lemons, <laughs> and they in turn looked after the others to nurse yep. them back to health after yep. the six days. <laughs> Far out. <laughs> Crazy. Jeez, man, that that is the the stuff that, and that's just one story, but the yeah. stuff they had they did to people to try and figure out. All of these things, yeah. I know. And I just, you know, when I was reading that, I felt like I wouldn't be able to do it justice on what was written here because that was just, I read it and I was just fascinated with all the, not so much the oranges, although that's what we're exploring this this week, Mm. 
but just the other things that they tried to yeah. treat scurvy while they were going. And then they discovered that oranges and lemons were the mm. ones that actually cured them. And then, as you said, they started p- planting them along trade mm. routes. And but if I understand correctly, they didn't know why it was. <laughs> No, yeah. they yeah. didn't know why. They didn't yeah. realize that it was vitamin C mm. until the 20th century. Mm. But they yeah. knew that they should have oranges on these long voyages. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to add, you were talking about, you know, being this guy being a Scotsman. Um, <laughs> earlier we talked about the moldy oranges and penicillin. Yes. And the guy that discovered penicillin is a Scotsman as well, Alexander uh, Fleming. Yeah. <laughs> They're a, they're a great bunch of people, mate. Yeah. Let's be honest. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the nutritional breakdown uh, and the medicinal history of the oranges. We're going to talk cooking? Yeah, let's, let's talk about okay. cooking. Have you ever cooked with oranges? Like, yeah. You have? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I... I can't think of a time where I mean I've definitely put you know fresh orange into a salad or something, but mm-hmm, I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever cooked with an orange. No. So yeah, so I did I did a bit of reading and different dishes that you can cook and that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean obviously everybody has juice and then yeah. you know we'll eat a fresh orange or whatever and mm-hmm. um, but I think the next the next kind of biggest thing would be probably a jam, so a marmalade, an orange yeah. marmalade. Um, and I, I'm not a huge jam person, so I I actually, it sounds stupid now, but I I said to Chris, is there an orange jam? Because you know, you got strawberry jam and blackberry (laughs) and whatever and apricot, like, She's a marmalade. I said. I said to Chris, "Is there an orange jam? Because I can't think of one." She goes, "Yeah, it's marmalade." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually um, marmalade with brandy, like a brandy marmalade. Yeah, is right. Like one of the best things you'll ever try. Yeah, it's yep. delicious. And interestingly enough, you know, marmalade is kind of characterized by pieces of the orange peel mm, the actually peel. being in it. Um, which gives you that extra bump of uh, anti-inflammatories and antihistamines. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I was going to talk next about the zest and the peel and that sort of thing. So mm. you know, it kind of plays into it. But yeah, you can you can use the zest of an orange and and um, the peel as well. And the peel, particularly, um, you know, around Christmas time or whatever. It, I mean, just candy. You can candy the peels, or you can mm-hmm. candy slices of oranges and that sort of stuff. And um, lots of people use them for fruit cakes and that sort of thing. So yeah. you can definitely use the peel in different ways. But um, I was meaning to bring up earlier, we we never really touched on the use of orange oil, which you can get out of the skin. Yes. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's almost its whole own thing, you know, essential oils and that sort of thing. Yes. But there is the oil that's available in the skin. Yeah. Um, I was going to talk about medicinally because orange oil is actually – um, you can take it and they take uh, dried orange as well and they use it in tea mm, because yeah. of the oils in tea. Yep. Um, so there's a lot to do with that as well, but I just felt like, it, you know, Too much. there's a there's a wide, yeah. wide world of what we <laughs> talk about and we yeah. can't touch on everything. We try to touch on as much as we can. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's a little much sometimes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So zest, you know, marinades and salad dressings and desserts mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. I, I came across this one interesting recipe for an orange orange habanero hot sauce. So oh. have you ever have you ever, have you ever had Sounds spicy good. with orange or not? Uh, I've had spicy with pineapple. Yeah, but I'm not sure if I've had it with orange. Mm. I thought no, that was I interesting. So. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds so you, good. You, know, you can make hot sauce with a sweet orange. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. So that was that was that was particularly interesting. But um, also the the standard kind of flavor combination with orange and chocolate is a, a pretty popular yeah. one. So sticking with your dessert theme and yeah, orange yeah. chocolate and that sort of thing, um, orange puddings and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then you know the salads Chris and I have made before, but fresh orange and sort of red onion and fennel and you know sort of thing you can put yeah. together into a salad and absolutely um, and a nice like orange vinaigrette as well it can be yep. pretty tasty. Um, See, uh, I feel like these are all really good ways of getting. Um, so we we talk about iron absorption and we talk mm. about you know vitamin c being a key player in iron absorption and when we talk cooking i think it's really important that even though there are other sources of vitamin c there are other uh, you know sources of iron sometimes they don't taste well together right mm. so having the ability to use different fruits and vegetables to pair with iron sources mm. is a really it's a really good thing to do it's a it's actually a really good way to ensure that no matter what iron source you're eating incorporating vitamin c doesn't necessarily mean having to use orange juice or having to use oranges or having to mm. use um, beetroot or having to use snow peas or you know, there's lots of different ways that you can do it, whether you're going for savory or sweet or different kind of flavors. Mm. There's different ways that you can incorporate vitamin C without automatically thinking oranges. Yep. Yep. Um, even though oranges are phenomenal and we've, yeah, we've covered that in, in detail. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I actually found a really cool recipe that I am going to try mm. possibly this week. I yep. Would think uh and i've seen these before as well and i've always wanted to try one i haven't actually done it yet but it's a orange rose and polenta cake yeah okay yeah yeah so basically um you know the polenta and this one's got um some ground almonds in it as well the polenta with the oranges actually makes for a really good consistency and a really moist cake um and often when we think of polenta, we think savory, but this is a sweet uh, yeah. cake. And, and these are actually quite popular polenta and orange cakes. Um, yep. So I'm going to be giving this a crack this week, I think. That sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes me think of um, – I remember growing up always getting like orange and poppy seed cakes and that mm-hmm, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Muffins. Orange yeah. and poppy seed muffins. Man. Yeah. yeah. It's massive, right? Yeah, huge. Yeah. Um, Mm. Yeah, and orange. Yeah, I haven't overly overly cooked with orange, so I don't feel mm. like I, you know, I don't have all this stuff that I can rattle off the top of my head. And yeah, it's a it's a funny one, you know. You just you kind of grow up like like we discussed earlier. You eat it at halftime playing sport, or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some orange juice at breakfast time, and, and that's about as far as it go. But yeah. you know, 
it can be used in a lot of things. Absolutely. Well, here's yeah. another one that you should probably try uh, because I know you love sweet potatoes. Mm. So you can actually do an orange glazed sweet potato. Oh, yeah. So you basically kind of, you know, split your sweet potato and then the glaze is made from, you know, zest of an orange, a little bit of sugar, some cloves, star anise, cinnamon, um, a little bit of butter, water, um, and you make your glaze with that and then pour it over uh, your sweet potatoes, um, which could be... I think that that would be amazing. Orange and star anise and cloves and cinnamon. Yeah. It's a very common um, uh, cooking, especially when we're talking about, you know, baking. Orange, cloves and star anise and cinnamon is the kind of the four that go hand in hand all the time. Yeah. I just wrote it down. So I'm going to – I've got all of those ingredients. Oh, do you? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Make it. I've yeah. got uh, quite an extensive – Spice cabinet. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a kind of a Peruvian uh, yeah, right. type yeah. of dish. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, mate, tell me, let me know how that goes. Uh, yeah, I will. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I would be keen to do that as mm -hmm. well. Because mm -hmm. I've had sweet potatoes with like a maple sriracha glaze. Yeah, I love that. It's, that's so good. It's yeah. so good. So, um, yeah, you know, a, a sweet potatoes are really interesting because they become – kind of sweet when you bake them for a long time and there's a lot of sugars in them that kind yeah. of break down. But uh, I think that, you know, that sort of uh, savoury orange glaze would be mm. delicious on them. Yeah, nice. Mm. Yeah. I'll have a go. Nice. Mm. I love it. So is that cooking? That's pretty much it, yeah. yeah. Mm. And storage is pretty simple too, you know. Yeah. Don't peel the orange if you're going to store it for any, any extended <laughs> period of time. Yep, nature, yeah. nature knows what's going on. It's more about yeah. just making sure it's um, plenty of airflow. Don't don't let it get uh, kind of wet and humid yeah. and that sort of thing, so it doesn't rot. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, growing. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, it's going to be cool. So, I found a really cool um, site that I, I mean, it it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, a marketing pitch for their fertilizers and everything oh, yeah. but but i'm okay with that sometimes yeah. uh when they give you good information right? actually before you get too far <laughs> into the growing yeah i and i didn't put this in the history and it's very specifically related to australian history but i found a really in-depth document about the history of the orange groves in mildura and how they came about uh -huh. and who settled them and yep. and yeah like full history there as well it's crazy that's yeah. um Oh, what's his name? Yeah. That's with the C. Yeah, the Chaffee uh, brothers or something. Chaffee brothers. Yeah. The Chaffee. Yeah. Chaffee, Chaffee brothers. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting. In Mildura, there's a fountain uh, yes. that yeah. was erected when they first got there. Because, yeah. uh, you know, Mildura started as an irrigation town. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, which is basically where they started growing. It's a it's the fruit bowl of Australia. It sure um, is, yeah. So... I know a lot about Mildura just because Jamie, my wife, is from Mildura yeah. and we travel there a lot to visit her family. Mm. Um, and she will be the first to tell you that the oranges in Mildura taste a lot better than anywhere else yeah. and so will her family. They um, And you can pick up – and when I say fresh orange juice, 
I'm talking fresh orange juice from yeah. some of the best oranges in Australia. Yeah. You can pick up orange juice up there and, you know, it's about seven bucks for, for two liters, but it is unlike any orange juice you will try. It's pretty it amazing, right? So good. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So let's jump into growing. for all the green Still. thumbs out there. And we're mostly going to be talking about, you know, Australia. So all the information that I got from this is from uh, yates.com.au. So oh, Yates okay. are a big uh, fertilizer and growing, basically. I wondered if that's what you meant when you said <laughs> an advertisement. <laughs> that's what I meant. So they, we're not sponsored by Yates or anything like that, but they've got a phenomenal Cash for resource. Comments. Yeah. Cash for comments. <laughs> no. None of that. Um, but they have a, a wonderful resource for you to go to and, mm. and, and use, actually learn about growing plants. Yeah. And, I've used know. their website. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really good. And they do tell you to use some of their products, which their products are very good. So, you know, I feel like you're giving us good information. Plug as, plug as much as you want. Go crazy. So mm -hmm. let's talk about um, – Let's talk about oranges. So basically you want a couple of things. You want full sun, well-drained, watered regularly, and uh, in the cold climates um, you want to plant your, your shrubs in spring um, when the soil has warmed up. Um, so in warmer areas you want to plant them in, in autumn kind of times. All right. So essentially you want to choose a really sunny spot with well-drained soil Um you want to dig your hole, put your um, put your um, tree into it. So I, I don't recommend starting from seed with oranges. We we discussed it in the past. There's no guarantee you're going to get fruit. Plus, you know they've got trees readily available. Yeah, we're talking about from seed to fruit is three years. Yeah, for yeah. oranges. Mm. So your best bet if you're wanting to get you know actual fruit from your tree is to get something that's either three years old or two and a bit years old where you can plant it. Uh, it may cost you a bit more to actually get a tree that's of that size, but you'd be able to pick up a, an orange tree that's one or two years old and then care for it. And, you know, you'd start producing your fruit in that third year. Mm. All right. Yeah. Um, you can also grow oranges in a pot. So interestingly, this ties in with your Louis the Third, Louis the Fifth. Uh, no, it was Louis the Eighth, Louis the Ninth. No, it's Louis the Seventh. Where? Where's my Louis uh, Louis? Fourteenth. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay, I was way off. Samsonite. Yeah. I was way X, off. X X I V fourteenth. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds X, right. X I V. Yep. Yeah. Huh? X, X I V yeah, 14, that's yeah. right. So yeah. yeah. Roman numerals. Yeah. Okay. So when we're growing oranges in a pot, uh, you want to get a pot that's at least 600 mil wide, so about 60 centimetres. Um, this kind of allows you to move it around. So if mm. you don't have that many sunny spots, you can kind of move your pot into sunny spots as you go. Um, yeah, I've got an orange tree in a half wine barrel. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Um, again, you know, you want to water these things pretty deeply. 
so you know when you when you when we talk about watering deeply you really want to soak it right the way through and you do that about two to three two to three times during the week depending on your weather conditions all right mm. um so they talk about feeding it some dynamic soil lifter and plant fertilizer um three times a year which kind of promotes growth and again you're going to see fruit usually in the third year um, when this happens. So I've got some tips, though, when we're growing. Um, so if you are planning on growing your your oranges in a pot, you probably want to choose the dwarf orange variety. Yeah, that's uh, what I've got. Dwarf, <laughs> yeah, dwarf yep. Valencia or a dwarf navel. Mm. Again, if you're wanting a seedless orange, go the navel. If you don't mind to have seeds in it, go the Valencia. So, you know, always go navel because mm-hmm. um, nobody <laughs> wants seeds, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're in your pot, you can move it around the garden because you can take advantage of those different sunlight conditions. Um, if it's like a heavy clay soil that you've got outside, you've really got to work with that. You don't really want it to be in heavy clay. It's not going to work well. Um over the first two years, you are going to see some small fruit that develop, but the tips that I've seen is to remove those small fruit um, and then you thin the excess fruit when they're small and it actually encourages better sized and better tasting fruit in the coming years. Mm-hmm. So really important to not stop and rest on your laurels and, uh, and accept these little tiny fruits that are coming out always, in the first two years. Always aim for bigger. That's it. Bigger is best. You're basically Size teaching, does matter. Yeah, yeah, you're teaching your tree to grow better fruit. Some big balls. Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> that right? Anyway, so, um, so look, the Valencia is probably the best variety for mm. Australia. Um, the fruit hang on to the tree for a lot of months after ripening. So that's actually a really good thing if you're not wanting to take them all the time off of the tree and take them all in one go. You can actually leave it on there for a couple of months. Um, And the fruit juice doesn't go sour after you store it in the fridge. Mm. So, again, another good thing to do with the Valencia. Um, The navel orange, which we... We talked about the Washington navel. It's it's actually really good for a sweet fruit, but it's a little bit more susceptible to disease, um, and it doesn't last as long. Like the fruit juice doesn't last as long as the Valencia. Mm. Okay, um, you can get some different types of bitter varieties of oranges if you're looking to make marmalade, um, and you can also get some varieties that produce fruit all year round as well. So. Um, if you're after that kind of thing, just have a look for, you know, check the tags when you're buying them from nurseries and it'll tell you a little bit more about when it's going to produce fruit, how long it's going to produce fruit for, um, and just make sure you find the right variety for what you're actually trying to do. Mm. So I think the biggest takeaways from that is if you want less care and less disease, probably best to stick with your Valencia. If you're growing it in pots, make sure you get a dwarf variety. Mm. If you are looking at just developing a tree to use for juicing, then Valencia is probably your best bet because the juice stores longer. 
um, and the the fruit hangs on the tree a lot longer as well. Um, and don't try and go from seed. Make sure you get a, a fruit tree, thin it out, and uh, and make sure you just start taking the big fruit from it after the third year. Yeah, or in I the think third the year. um that that'll be the same for all all of the fruit trees that we cover about. Yeah, going from a sprouted tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all the same. Absolutely. So uh, pollination is really important with those trees. So it's um, yeah, it's it's you got to make sure you get the right tree and yeah yeah absolutely so uh there's one other thing that i wanted to touch on with uh the citrus planting and that's companion planting oh which we nice. love here yeah at two as one plant the podcast <laughs> um i felt really weird saying that. shameless plug <laughs> well you're already listening so yep. here we are um mm. okay so um citrus trees uh actually pretty prey to a lot of insects um just because you know uh just because of the citrus nature of it the, the bugs are naturally drawn to the sugars um so it's really not about deterring uh bugs it's kind of like moving them away to something else that mm -hmm. is really good to do so um Marigolds are a really excellent companion crop um, because it actually pushes some of these bad insects away. So if we're actually wanting to deter, then marigolds is what we want to do, or petunias. Um, uh, you can also have um, nas, nasturtium, uh, sure. which actually draws aphids to it. So okay. Aphids are naturally really bad for mm. citrus plants, but this nasturtium actually draws the aphids to it. So it's a good because basically the aphids that are going to the nasturtium, they're not going onto your citrus tree, right? So it's more about attracting the bugs down to that rather giving than... Giving them something, a better option. Exactly. Mm. Um, and then you can plant something like yarrow or dill and fennel, which attracts lacewings and ladybugs, which mm. feed on aphids. Yeah, okay. Okay? And create a whole ecosystem. Exactly. Mm. And then you can also plant something like lemon balm or parsley and tansy, which attracts the tachinid fly and wasps, which kill the caterpillars. Yep. So there's a couple of different things that you can start planting near your citrus trees to um, to kind of uh, fend off or get that natural ecosystem happening so that you don't have to spray it with fertilizer. You don't have to spray it with like um, uh, pesticides or anything like that. You can kind of have a natural system going there. Mm. Um, you said You said tansy. And that's yes. like the fourth time we've said tansy. Oh, is it? And I don't know what it is, so I've just looked it up while you were talking because <laughs> it's now it's frustrating me. It's so common as a companion uh -huh. plant. Uh -huh. I had to know. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to tell us what it is? Well, I feel like we should do a podcast on it, to be honest, from well, what I see. We will. Mm. But yep. just briefly. What would you like to know? Well, Well, you don't really have to tell me anything. It's just... It's just a weedy herb, it's, right? No, it's a flowering flowering plant. Uh, so yeah. tansy is perennial herbaceous flowering plant of the aster family, native to Europe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So basically, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, mate. I don't think that people can uh, can see what Tim's showing me on the uh, screen, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, but from what I saw, quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So the other thing as well, which I found a little bit interesting here, and we've touched on this in previous podcasts as well, um, a really good thing to plant near your citrus tree is legumes such as peas and alfalfa because they is are – for the nitrogen? Exactly. Yes. I learned so, something. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. So they leach nitrogen into the ground, which helps your hungry citrus trees. Mm. So basically you let your legumes grow for a while to build up the nitrogen and you cut them back to the ground and it releases it into the soil. Mm, yeah. They're nitrogen fixes. That's correct. Yep. And we've touched on that when we talked about cruciferous vegetables. And um, snow pea. Exactly. And, yep. Yeah. So, um, and beetroot as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, really interesting in terms of the companion planting. But yeah, that cool. is yeah. growing companion planting for the orange trees. And that's, you can grow them in a pot. That's yeah, awesome. Mate. Yep. Yep. I grow got uh, um, orange, lemon, and lime as dwarf citrus trees growing in nice. half wine barrels. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. amazing. Do you have them in Melbourne, or are they still? In no, Melbourne? we left them. We left them in Wangaratta. Yeah, but, okay. uh, they they all produce fruit, um, very healthy trees. Yeah, yeah, amazing. they're surviving really well. That's great. Are you ever yeah. going to get them shipped down here? No, I think we're going to leave them where they are. Yeah, yeah. as a gift to Kristen's parents. Oh, yep. that's nice. Yeah. Oh. I enjoy looking at them when we go home. That's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's the main thing, mate. And I, I take some of the lime leaves home whenever. Oh we go. yeah. 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 I, I like cooking with lime leaves, fresh mm. lime leaves. It's really good. Yeah. Um. Well, that's that's the podcast. I love it. Man. That man, was a this, long one. <laughs> I know. I. Oh, sorry man. to everyone listening, but I. It didn't feel long for me. Well, when I did my notes, <laughs> it felt long. And I was cutting oh. so much stuff out too. Yeah. Yeah. I cut a lot back as well. But mm. um, but look, when you get to something so in-depth with a rich history, particularly the marketing side, I loved that component of what you did today. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, huge fan. Yeah. Really well, I, I felt it, it was important because it is mm. one of those things that, and we we said it so many times. Why do, why do they keep saying oranges for vitamin C when we keep yeah. coming across all these other things that are much much higher? And yep. yeah, yeah. Well, now we know oranges are delicious. So yeah, you know. absolutely, and a really good source of vitamin C. Yeah. So it's not like they're wrong. No, but it, it makes sense on boats for scurvy and that sort of stuff. I mean, oranges can store for a while. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm talking about Valencia oranges. Yeah. That, you know, the, even the orange juice stores for a long time, but they particularly took them as whole oranges. But, yeah, mm. you're right. Uh, we're talking about citruses that last a long time. Mm. They can store them for a long time. It's perfect yeah. for long voyages. Yep. yep. You know? And who wants yes. to eat raw beetroot and snow peas on a long it's, voyage? It, they yeah, didn't even right. have snow peas back then. No. It's interesting, you know, this, this particular one is we've got the history and the the history of the fossil going back, Eight million years is mm. fascinating on its own, and that that's a whole fascinating read. <laughs> it's incredible to go through how, and they go through how it all evolved and changed, and the regions and all that sort of stuff. But you've got that history, and then you've got the orange coming from the 
the combination of Mandarin and Pomelo mm-hmm. and then, you know, ancient Chinese medicine. And then mm-hmm. we've got this, um, the beast of capitalism, you know, mm-hmm. and marketing and uh, yeah. it's just like there's so many different angles to it. It's, yeah. Yeah. It was really good. I, I really enjoyed that episode. Yep. It was really cool. Me too. Um, well, I mean, again, I'm not going to – I'm going to wind this up really quickly because yep. we've had people for almost two hours now um, – do break this up into I hope well I hope you've broken it up into a, into a couple of different um, mm. bits uh, but again thank you so much for listening um, we are about to start having our first guests on the show um, which is very exciting mm. can we we can't talk about it yet can we we'll have to no maybe, well we're not talking yeah. about the individual people yet but it's going to be a regular occurrence now where we're going to interview or have someone on who is a specialist in um in different areas people that have um you know it could be cooking passions. or nutrition or well, something. Yep. it's like, going to be chefs that cook yeah. with certain things it's going to be nutritionists that deal with certain vegetables and fruits it's going to be um you growers know, cook, growers it's going to be yep. cookbook writers it's going to be you know business owners that have made large businesses based on a particular fruit or vegetable mm-hmm. um so we're really going to be so like the big banana <laughs> in course. <laughs> the big pineapple? <laughs> yeah, man. I visit the big pineapple every time we drive past it. Do you? Yeah, because I got changed for a wedding in the car park. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just have really fond memories of it. You can't so go up the top of it anymore. So I have fond memories as well and <laughs> having parfaits and riding the train. and Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. all shut down now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, eh? It is, man. It really is. Don't they have a music festival there? Oh, I think they used to. I don't think that happens anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, especially not now. Not now, yeah. (laughs) COVID COVID killed the big pineapple. Anyway, um, but look, thank you again, everyone, for listening. Uh, You can run over... (laughs) You can run over to our Instagram account. Yeah, just run over there and get it. You'll be right, mate. Oh, my gosh. Pop over to our Instagram account. Swipe over. 2.guys.1.plant.podcast. With the at symbol at the beginning. Mm. Um, it's on the line. Mm. So you can find it there. Uh, we chuck a couple of facts up about every episode. You will see our orange experiment when you jump over there. You will also see any recipes that we're doing as well on the Instagram stories. Um, uh, if you've got any funny stories, let us know. If you uh, if you just want to say hello, we one of us will say hello back. That is correct. Yeah. Um, you may not know who it is, mm-hmm. but someone's going to say it. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, thank you again for listening and. Um, uh i guess oh we haven't really covered off on what we're doing next week no we haven't we're getting more organized now so yeah um you're gonna have to tell me what we've got scheduled well next week we're actually doing avocado oh i remember this conversation (laughs) so we're going a little bit outside of what we usually do which was vegetable fruit herb but 
Uh, we are jumping into Avocado next week, which mm-hmm. is going to be good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Mm. Yeah. Now, I know that you are growing your own avocados at the moment. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say From growing. Seed. I would say sprouting. <laughs> sprouting. From seed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, was, silly, I, just, silly. I just wanted to see what happened. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see what happens in – doesn't it take 13 years or something like that for a, an avocado oh, tree to bear fruit? Look, I, I've <laughs> been told that um, it's a stretch in, in Melbourne anyway. So, yeah, yeah, oh, I don't think the yes. climate's quite right, but we'll find yeah. out. Well, look, hey, you want to waste your time, that's all good. <laughs> well, I'm not really doing anything. There's seeds sitting on the bench, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Mm. Well, we'll... we are going to learn all about avocado next week. We're going to talk about the history and and best planting. Mm. And you are actually going to be doing planting and growing. I've got nutrition and planting (laughs) or growing. So you'll be able to see how you're going. Yeah, that'll be good. Which Mm. is really cool. So, um, yeah. Well, look, thanks again, everyone. Keep listening. We love having you here. And um, until next week when we talk about avocados. Do yourself a favor and eat some more plants.